Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio, on with the show. The other thing a board needs to do is to get out of the boardroom and onto the dance floor and actually observe culture firsthand. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking to Jane Crombie about innovative ways for boards to oversee culture. First, let me tell you about Jane. Jane is on the boards of the Freemason Board of Benevolence, an Anglican Schools Commission Board, Governance Committees for PwC, AMA Queensland, Second Byte, Impact Queensland and a fintech startup. Jane's background is in financial services. Her governance experience ranges from an Outback Nursing Association to Chair of an Investment Committee overseeing a billion dollars in client funds. Having competed as a health tech entrepreneur at a global MBA startup competition, she has a first-hand understanding of digital innovation and venture capital. Jane is a board and governance specialist at Directors Australia advising boards on ESG and sustainability, investment governments and oversight of culture. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Jane. Thank you. Lovely to be here. So, Jane, before we talk through innovative ways for boards to oversee culture, I'd love to hear a little bit more about you. Can you tell me, what was your earliest experience of governance? Well, apart from the Bush Nursing Association when I was a new bride in the outback, my first real director role was actually accidental. So one evening I was waiting to pick up my daughter from a school function and I attended the AGM of the school's foundation. So I had, I had made a donation. I was a bit interested in the work they were doing. So I went along just to just see what it was all about. And by the end of the meeting, I'd been voted onto the board. This is not the approach I recommend. A bit of due diligence um, does ensure that you do have some skills and perhaps uh, are a cultural fit and even have an interest in the organisation. That, that's always good. Luckily, this did prove to be the case. I really enjoyed that experience. Uh, I did have some relevant skills. I ended up chairing that board and um, was on the Finance and Risk Committee for it, and we did some great transitional work. So it was a good experience, and I did the AICD course, and, and everything's gone from there. Now, you said as a throwaway just at the start there, oh, well, 
other than being a new bride in the Outback and the Bush Nursing Association. And I'm afraid I have to take you back there because it sounds like an interesting story. Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, well, when I got engaged, I got engaged to a fellow. We were in Brisbane and we were looking for a house to buy here. And one weekend I was on a small plane to the Outback with his family, his brother and his father. And when we returned, we'd bought a property. Um, so... They'd been looking for a while, but I thought we we're just going for a ride to have a look. Uh, anyway, so I was all of a sudden catapulted into Western Queensland. They gave me a motorbike and a sheepdog and an Akubra, and away I went. So uh, being the new girl in the district, of course, they targeted me straight away for um, the local association, which was the Bush Nursing Association, which was, um, it was a town of 150, and it, it was a really important community point for uh, mm. first-line healthcare. So it was a great experience. Oh, fantastic. Oh, well, I'm glad I dug about that because what an experience in all ways. It sounds like that was your first board role. Oh, I wouldn't call it a board. We used to meet at the local pub with the dogs <laughs> at our feet, but um, it, was, it was a governance experience, if you like. I was treasurer. Oh, fantastic. Kept them in line there. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. That is a, a fabulous story. Hell yeah, I'll tell you another one, and I have let this one drop off my CV. My next one, so my career took off with a rocket then. While my children were little, I did do a little bit of line dancing just to get me out of the house in the evenings. And and so I, I did progress to become president of the Bell Bowery Boot Scooters, but I, I don't necessarily keep that on the CV anymore. <laughs> President of the Bell Bower Boot Scooters, is that right? That's oh. right. Can I check? Any any boot scooting continuing? Yeah, no, no, no. It was definitely it was a phase. It <laughs> kept me sane and uh, out of the house when the children were very small. It is such a good thing to do, just to you know really go down that garden path. So I um. Uh, I used to teach modern jive dancing, so that's a bit in my history as well. I was never president of the Modern Jive Association, but I certainly used to teach and compete in some of the modern jive competitions. So, you know, there's a little bit of spray glitter in my history as well, and that's fantastic. And I must say, you know, at the risk of revealing too much at the moment, uh, as we were talking about before we hit recording, in Melbourne we are here in stage four restrictions at the moment and one of the things that is helping keep me and my partner sane is that uh, at the end of the day we try and have a little dance around the lounge room because there is nothing like you know it's hard to feel kind of it's hard to feel sad when you're dancing so it's a good thing to do absolutely I would say modern jive is probably a little cooler than line dancing um, so I'll, I'll give you you score that point I don't know about that but let's oops I hope my dance teacher doesn't listen to that part <laughs> Well, okay, now that we have our dancing skeletons uh, out of the closet, we've got our the stories of governance meetings at the pub, let's come more into the kind of current time of governance and talk about culture. Culture is such a key thing for boards to get their head around. And again, as we were reflecting just, just before we hit record on this, 10 years ago, maybe more than that, but 10 years ago, culture probably wasn't even on the board agenda. And now it is on the board agenda, but sometimes boards kind of might struggle with what is it that they need to see and what is important for them to really get their heads around culture for an organisation, and particularly since the Financial Services Royal Commission. So for the boards that you're on, 
How is it that they look at culture? What should we be looking at here? What's important for boards to look at for that innovative looking at culture? Okay, so Helio, I'll give a little bit of background on this. So uh, my interest in this developed, I did an MBA, finished last year. It was um, something I wanted to do for a long time, so I did it quite late in the piece. And the Royal Commission was in full flight as we came towards the end of that course and we did a large research project. And I did mine on board oversight of culture and there was no shortage of material to draw on during the Royal Commission. So I did the project, I surveyed 50 directors and, and one of those is my colleague now at Directors Australia, Karen Newton, who became interested in the work and we developed the work I'd done from an academic paper into um, you know, a practical consulting methodology, which we now deliver to boards. So there are a number of things boards need to know about culture. It, it's perceived as very difficult. Everyone knows they need to do something about it, but it's much harder to measure than things like financial outcomes, for example. So what I found in my study was that boards had great intentions and to some extent the structures in place, codes of conduct and mm. risk registers, those sorts of things that they needed, but they weren't confident that they were delivering the culture that they wanted to see through the organisation. And, and sometimes you'll see organisations do an employee engagement survey, for example, some sort of pulse survey and they'll realise that, that really there's a very big disconnect between what they're hoping to deliver or intending to deliver and what's actually happening down at the coalface. It's a difficult issue for boards. Um, there are a number of things that we have found that boards can do to improve the position. First of all, there's, you can't get anywhere unless you have confirmed what your organisational culture is. So you, you know what you, it is you're trying to deliver and that should be based on your values. And when we were talking to boards, we found surprisingly that some of them couldn't even articulate the values. Mm -hmm. And so if those values are not known to the board who's overseeing culture, as the Royal Commission made it very clear they should be, how are they going to see it trickle down? Mm -hmm. So one of the first things a board can do is embed the organisational culture. They need to put their values into their um, position descriptions for recruitment, into consequences for misconduct, into remuneration frameworks, etc. So it needs to be embedded so that everyone through the organisation understands what they're dealing with. And values, I think, are best described. If you come to a fork in the road, you refer to your values and they will tell you which fork to take. Yeah. So the other thing that boards find difficult in terms of culture is uh, knowing what they need to look at to see if they've got visibility over culture. So we get financial reports at board level, but we don't often get cultural reports. And the question um, boards should ask is what do they need to see to be confident that they've got visibility of what's happening in their organisation? So there are, are things like customer complaints that they can look at, employee turnover, for example. But if they're looking at customer complaints, are they just looking at a, a chart each month saying that the number's gone up or down? Or are they getting a little more granular? I know I heard what somebody tell me that they get a 30-minute recording with their board papers from the customer complaint centre, for example, so they can hear the tone and nature of those complaints and understand what is actually going on. But there are all sorts of other things that can help a board understand culture, exit interviews, what's being said in those, social media monitoring, those sorts of things. There are audit and integrity metrics that can help, things like uh, employee turnover can help, compliance breaches, whistleblower incidents. So there are things that a board can see. And there's some interesting technology these days that can 
for example, software that can algorithmically analyze the tone of emails between your employees and seeing if um, there's red flag coming up there in terms of what's happening with your culture. Really? Tell me more about that. I haven't heard this before. Well, it's all, it's already available overseas. So it's, yeah, it's software platform and it can analyze in real time what's happening with your employees, the tone of their emails between each other and report back to the board and say, this, this um, is getting worse. You need to be aware of it. For example, the other thing a board needs to do is to get out of the boardroom and onto the dance floor and actually observe culture firsthand. So boards often sit in the boardroom and receive reporting from the executive and they will sometimes go on a site visit or some sort of visit to the organisation that's typically been prepared beforehand. So everyone's on their best behaviour in their best uniform or whatever and the directors come along and everyone has a nice time and they tick that box we've been to do a site visit but if you can try and get a little more varied about that you can go and uh, talk to employees for example informally there are all sorts of things directors can do by getting out of the boardroom and building relationships out there they can do shadow shopping for the product that their organization produces talk to the suppliers even talk to the customers, get a feel for how their product or their service is perceived. And that gives directors a much, much clearer view than receiving a piece of paper in a board pack. Mm. And directors, of course, uh, need to model the values and the behaviour that they'd like to see. So, for example, if a board's overseeing a cost reduction, but the directors continue to fly business class to overseas conferences, for example, that's not demonstrating what you'd like to see in the organisation. Or if they go on a site visit and they don't wear the requisite high-vis vest and helmet, that, that's sending a mixed message as well. So there's quite a lot a board can do to make itself more familiar with what is actually going on in the organisation, not what just they're reading at board level in the papers. Can you give us a, an example, either with one of the boards that you've been on maybe or someone you've worked with? No need to reveal names if you don't wish to. Um, but maybe can you give us a live example of, of a journey in the boardroom around some of this stuff? Well, one of my first boards was a great lesson in culture for me. So I was fairly new to the game. We were doing a lot of building governance structures from ground up and some of the directors in the room were there by virtue of the fact that they wore another hat mm -hmm. and they were unable in some cases to take that hat off when they came through the boardroom door to work in the best interests of this organisation. So that, that was a great learning curve for me. We had to work really hard to develop a respectful culture of debate around that table because there was a tendency for these in directors with vested interests to be very heavy-handed in their comments mm -hmm. and a little impatient with the other directors and we had to try and make sure everyone had a voice and that the fact that we were working the best interests of the organisation that we're sitting around the table of at that time was what we all had to remember. So that taught me a lot. One of the boards I'm on now at my first meeting and it was a Zoom meeting during COVID so I hadn't met the directors in person. We were all there on Zoom and I was new. And the chairman started the meeting by asking everyone to do a check-in around the table. It was early, it was back in March when things were fairly acute and new. How are you feeling? How's your family coping? 
how is your business traveling through this pandemic crisis? And everyone went around, just did a minute or two, and some were fairly practical about it. Some were a little more vulnerable and emotional, but it was an incredible, I thought, example of how organizational culture can be set at the top. So there was this genuine care for how the directors were traveling before they got on with the business of the board. It was quite revealing and for a new director, very encouraging. So, and I've mentioned it to a few colleagues who sit on boards around the place and they said they have, they've never seen that before. They haven't actually ever been asked how they're feeling as an individual before the board meeting starts. So I thought that was a great example uh, of culture being set at the top and as it's proven, rippling down through that organisation. It is. That's a beautiful example of it. I know for one of the boards that I'm on, we certainly haven't done it in a board meeting, but the chair did ring everybody just to check in. Like, no agenda, just how you going? So it's similar in some ways. And as you've already talked about, that really shows it's the tone from the top and the values of an organisation being displayed, being really exemplified. One of the other things, uh, I'm very, very strong on directors getting out of the boardroom. It's surprisingly how how um, little this actually happens. So one of the boards I'm on at the moment, we, we have had some feedback that the board in the past has been uh, invisible. No one knows who we are or no one has any line of communication to us or any visibility of what we're, even what we're doing. So we've um, set us, ourselves a program and a bit of a roster for directors to attend all sorts of events and um, just be visible in all sectors of that organisation. And COVID obviously has uh, set that back a little bit, but it's a main priority of ours at the moment. It's always interesting, that one, because there is a fine line between getting out and being visible or getting beyond being invisible and being a bit too visible and being a bit too hands-on, you know, that line between governance and operational. So what's your advice there for organisations or what have you seen where that works well, where the directors are getting out and seeing what's going on but not getting their hands too dirty? Well, they have to probably try not to get their hands dirty at all. They have to be extremely respectful of the executive and the management and uh, ensure that they're not treading on those toes. I do think a CEO with nothing to hide will welcome the involvement of the board, more visibility of the board, uh, and they'll welcome the assistance. But you do always have to be aware that the board is supposed to be attending to strategy. Mm. uh, But, no, you're absolutely right. So there's an awareness and a discussion with the CEO and the executive just to make sure that they're comfortable with what you're doing. You know, in thinking about boards getting out and seeing what's going on, is that always with the executive or is it sometimes keeping a bit of an eye on things in their own way? Oh, I think that depends on the organisation, Helia. I, I think you've got to use your EQ about that. Certainly need to be transparent about anything you're doing. Certainly not cut between the CEO or the executive and the organisation. That's probably case by case. You do need to respect everyone's boundaries and everyone's responsibilities. Yeah. It's meant you're trying to be collaborative, all pull in the same direction. You're not looking for trouble or looking for looking to criticise. You're just trying to get a fuller understanding of the organisation that you're trying to deliver value for. Hi, folks. It's Helia. Just popping in here to let you know about the next Take On Board event. We'll be hearing from Joe Smith from the New Zealand Productivity Commission about how boards with the right mix of skills and experience can help build frontier firms. 
She's done some hot off the press research and she'll take us through the key findings to help us understand how skillful boards can best overcome challenges and succeed. I'll be in conversation with Jo about her report and its findings and you'll get a chance to ask some questions of her too. You'll also get the opportunity to meet some of the Take On Board community from across Australia and the world. The event is on the 4th of November and there's a link in the show notes and on my website to book. Early bird tickets are available until the 21st of October. I hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. You'd mentioned much earlier in our conversation about values and how they can guide, you know, organisations when there's a fork in the road. You know, I just noted that when you said it and I just wonder if, there, again, is any examples of organisations getting to that fork in the road and how they use the values to guide them in that? Uh, yeah, probably, probably can't be too specific there from my own experience, but if you've got a difficult decision and there are two ways to go, it can bring you back to basics. It can bring you back to first principles. Mm. So the discussions can sometimes get quite complex and can run away in different directions. So a good chair, I think, will bring back the discussion and say, well, we've heard everyone's voice now. We've heard everyone's view. Let's go back and look at our values and see if that can tell us which of these. And sometimes it'll be quite obvious. Well, if we go down this road, that clashes with this one of, say, we've got five values. That might clash with this value here. So I think that makes it clear for us that we've got to go down the other fork. You know, looking at a, at a live challenge for organisations, sometimes those values can even be sometimes interpreted as being in opposition with each other in a way sometimes. So it's really, I guess, looking at the package and how they can best be exemplified for the organisation in those circumstances. If you're finding that you can't play to your values, then clearly values need a review and values should be reviewed. Circumstances change. Organisations evolve. So mm. values are something that should be reviewed by the board. I do think to get buy-in down the organisation, there needs to be a very open, transparent. If you're reviewing your values, you need input from all levels of the organisation. Otherwise, if you impose them from, from above as a board, then you've got much less chance of people buying in and delivering on those. They do need to have a voice in developing them. Absolutely. And and when there is, I've found in, you know, whether it's working with teams or boards, that often the values are right, but if there's been turnover in an organisation, they're not alive for that group. They're not. So being able to have the conversation about, well, what does that mean for us? What are the behaviours that we need that will exemplify these values and getting that buy-in from the board or the group around those values needs to be done regularly, even if they're the right, as I say, even if they're the right values, it just needs to be done regularly so everyone's singing from the same song sheet. Yeah, and I think what can work quite well is uh, some sort of professional development or training for all levels of the organisation, which it's not just a ticker box, we've delivered, we've told them all what the values are, but here are some, here are some case studies, here are some examples of a situation where the decision might go either way and this is how we would make that decision based on the, how we do things around here. Yes, that's true, having those case studies. You know, being able to play with a, a challenge hypothetically helps you when you then want to deal with it in real life about what's happening. No, exactly, exactly. It's um, too much of that behavioural, cultural training tends to just be here we've delivered it and now everyone can go off and, and as they were 
Uh, now it has to be relevant to the organisation. It has to actually have some meaning to those involved. You'd also mentioned before about some of the metrics that are useful for boards to look at. And often for boards, the holy grail is coming up with some of those lead indicators rather than just relying on the lag indicators. Have you got some good examples that boards can be looking for in terms of those, well, lag indicators if they're super useful as well, but in particular the lead indicators? Uh, that's a hard one, Helga, not really. <laughs> yeah. That, well, you know what? Even hearing that is quite comforting because it is something that I know at our boards we struggle with and I know from speaking to lots of other directors about culture at boards they struggle with. So, in fact, that's a little bit comforting to hear. Well, and that's that's where technology, I think, is going to assist us. So, mm -hmm. if you can have real-time reporting as things are unfolding rather than looking at them, what happened last month, for example that's going to be very helpful. And those things are coming in the next few years. We'll see more of that here. They're already being used elsewhere. Hi folks, it's Helia. I'm just cutting in here because you've just heard Jane say it's often hard to find lead indicators for culture. Well, I'm here to say it's hard, but not impossible. Jane has kindly gone away and done some research after this discussion about good lead indicators. So we're popping that in now. Jane, you've very kindly done some research for us. What have you found about good lead indicators for culture? Thanks, Helia. Uh, and yeah, thanks for the opportunity to come back on this question. So lead metrics are important. They can serve as early warning signals to identify areas for further investigation. And this in turn can assist with um, allocating resources to address emerging issues. So some lead indicators would include such things as the number of employee referrals that of friends and family as potential employees. So if you've got employees are happy in the workplace and they would like to refer that workplace as somewhere that their friends and family might like to work, that's, that's a positive lead. Employee engagement surveys can give you a heads up on what's coming towards you. Things such as interviews and focus groups with both internal and external stakeholders can give you early information on, on how things might be trending. And also uh, the amount of resources that are allocated for training on culture can give you an idea uh, whether your embedding of culture is going to be successful over time. It's still not easy to find lead indicators, but they're some of the ones that my research has thrown up. And what can you tell us about lag indicators? So lag indicators are a little more common, they're a little bit easier. They can identify organisational hotspots and root causes and lessons learned, for example. So they, they're obviously backward looking and they can be used to flag deteriorating trends. And they would include such metrics as uh, employee turnover rates, whether that's worsening, the content of exit interviews, uh, such things as productivity statistics, types and level of sick leave that are being taken within the organisation and uh, employee grievances and customer complaints, both, both the number of those and the tone and content of them. And, and finally, we had touched briefly on technology and being able to get real-time results from technology. Is there any additional information you've got for us about that? Yeah, I did have a little bit of a look into this too. This, this really does interest me, this area. So what I found is increasingly available are real-time human-centred analytics, which can identify the tone of communication in staff emails, for example, productivity levels, work patterns, those sorts of things. So firms such as Wiretap use artificial intelligence to monitor 
communication across platforms. And we're talking um, such things as Microsoft Teams and Slack. And these types of products have the potential to operate as real-time culture monitors as well. I think the key to developing uh, reporting for a board who's trying to get visibility over culture is consistent high quality data collection and analysis and then dashboard automation so that it's coming through uh, to the board um, in a dashboard or a heat map type of format so they can get a visibility on where things are trending. Do you have any good examples of those dashboard reports? Not necessarily with the data, but do you have any good examples of, of what that could look like for boards? I have done some work on developing the elements of a dashboard. Uh, that's It's pretty specialised to build a dashboard, but I think boards uh, need to determine what indicators are relevant for their organisation. So you decide, and, and we have um, developed a list of what those might be for organisations, and uh, some will be more relevant to one organisation and some to another. So if you can agree on what you need to see as a board to monitor culture and get an idea of how it's travelling in your organisation, then probably that's, that's a specialist technology piece to get that developed or incorporated into your existing dashboards. Well, again, thank you for doing that additional research for us. And now back to the show. Excellent. Thanks, Helia. That was great. Jane, we've covered a lot here in terms of helpful things for boards to think about in terms of culture. What are the key points you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? Culture is difficult, but it's it's vital. And it's probably even more vital in the circumstances we find ourselves in now. So boards are probably asking themselves, how are we overseeing culture, which is already difficult under a pandemic situation? So coming out of this, it'll be front of mind, I think, even more so. But the main things, main takeaways, culture needs to be based on values. So the values need to be articulated and understood at the start. Otherwise, you're just scrabbling around. It's rather scattergun. No one really knows what you're shooting at home to. They need to be embedded across the organisation in position descriptions, remuneration frameworks, recruitment, all that sort of thing. Directors need to receive some sort of reporting and that'll be specific to an organisation. So there needs to be some thought put into what types of metrics or what types of measures might come to the board that might be meaningful for that organisation. And most importantly, directors do need to get out of the boardroom and down onto the dance floor. And once they're there, they need to dance with multiple partners. I'm loving how you brought it back to dance. <laughs> <laughs> the president of the Boot Scooting Society, see, it's now it's continuing to inform your practice. <laughs> yeah, so everything you do has an influence, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And is there a resource that you would like to share with the Take On Board community? Uh, yes, and I'll send a link to this. Directors Australia have recently posted an article on five actions your board can take to improve oversight of corporate culture. So um, I'll, I'll make sure you've got hold of that. Fantastic. And we'll make sure there's a link to that in the show notes as well for people. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Take On Board podcast. And I should also do a shout out to the fabulous Anna Pullinger, who introduced us uh, to have you on the podcast. So thanks, Anna, for making that introduction. And thank you so much for sharing some of that wisdom around culture um, and some of that dance history with us here on Take On Board. Thanks for being with us here today. Thanks for the opportunity, Helia, and happy dancing this evening. <laughs> 
Hi there, it's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.